First responders take on our most traumatic situations, and their only option is to run towards the trauma. On this episode of Survivor Angels, we're going to hear from a medical professional who has lived that life daily and how angels were there for her. It's time for Survivor Angels, an approach to strengthen trauma survivors. Here, you can escape what draws negativity and engage your positive abilities and the gifts that you've always had. Let's activate your angels. And to help you on that journey, here's Chaplain Jody. Welcome. My guest today on Survivor Angels is Dawn Pitlick Rowling, and she has been a medical professional for a good many years, right, Dawn? That's right. So why don't we why don't we start this by you um, filling everybody in on your your medical professional history? All right. Well, I've been in the medical field for about oh, twenty two years now. Um, I went into healthcare late. Um, I was late to the game because it was a career change for me. So I started on. Um, the Woodbury Fire Department as an EMT firefighter. And I found that I really loved EMS and had a passion for pre-hospital medicine. So I went back to school to become a paramedic. I worked for as a paramedic for many years. Um, and then um, my passion grew a little bit stronger. I liked being, I wanted to see the patient through um, sometimes, you know, just dropping the patient off at the hospital. You don't really get to see what's what happens next. So I went on to nursing school. And as I said, I have a passion for pre-hospital medicine, but also um, emergency medicine. So I've been a nurse um, for many years now. And um, currently I work as a trauma program manager. So for me, it's the best of both worlds. I get to combine both my EMS experience and my emergency medicine experience in this role. Nice, nice. Um, We've known each other a good amount of time. Yeah. And, and so I was so glad when you agreed to come on on the show here. It's not easy being a first responder. Give our listeners and our viewers just a little bit of a glimpse of what maybe a day or a night might be like for one. Well, um, being in pre-hospital or EMS and emergency medicine, I don't think there's any day that's the same. You never know um, what you're going to experience. It could be a day where everything is low key. Um, Believe it or not, we don't um, have critical emergencies every day. So it could be something where we're just transferring um, sick people that need to go from their home to the hospital for care. Or we could be encountering somebody on the worst or best day of their life because we deliver babies too. Um, so that's a great day, scary for the paramedic or nurse, but, um, very fun for the family. Um, but, um, then there's times, a lot of times that we encounter people on the worst day of their life and it's difficult. Um, but our training and personality, I think helps us get through um, and I, I mean, we, we see a lot of things, um, 
but no day is ever the same. Um, it, it affects you personally, I think, in your own life, you know, when you're home with your family, the things that you see. Um, there's a lot of trauma that goes with this job. Even though we signed up for the job, um, I think sometimes we don't know exactly what we signed up for. And there is some, some trauma that is encountered by paramedics and emergency personnel. And, and I know that that's affected you because we talked about it a little bit the last time that, that we spoke. Mm -hmm. In what ways has it affected you? Um, I think the most prevalent for me has been, um, I don't look, I look at everything as dangerous and I see every potential because we see so many things and we see a lot of um, bad things in, in this profession. Um, I think I take that home with me. I think it has affected the way um, I brought up my children. Um, I really didn't always let them do things because I thought it was and things that regular kids can do and can be fun. And but I always see every I see it as dangerous. And then you um, for me, a lot of times it's like. Uh, um thinking about, did I handle this situation correctly? Um, not every situation goes as it should. And there's trauma that comes with that. You think, could I have done, could I have done something more? Um, especially when there's a bad outcome, even though you know you've done everything you could, um, could I have done more to help that person, save that person? And there's trauma related. There's trauma that comes with that. Um, I, I know you spoke about nightmares too. Yeah. Uh, that in itself has to be frightening. Yeah. My nightmares, um, I'm away from the bedside right now. And I, I think that's been really helpful for me because while I was, um, in as a, while I was working as a paramedic and an ER nurse, a lot of my nightmares were, um, or dreams were bad. They, you know, were of people drowning, of my family drowning, and I couldn't save them, or I can't even describe, but every night was something like that, every night. And since I've gone away from the bedside, even though I still work and um, read and see things, it, it's not the same as being at the bedside or being in the back of an ambulance. And my um, sleeping has definitely gotten better. Well, that that's good. Yeah. How, how do you see that being an EMT or a paramedic uh, or ER staff changed in the 22 years since, since you first started? Oh my goodness. Um, it's changed a lot since I first started. Um, I don't think as a paramedic or as an ER nurse, I ever felt, I mean, situations can get out of hand, but I don't think I ever felt as though um, I was in danger. And um, towards the end of my career as a paramedic, and one of the reasons I left the field is because paramedics, there was more um, violence out there and paramedics were having to start wearing um, uh, bulletproof vests and things like that. And they had to be um, 
take different safety measures and stuff because of the increased violence. Um, we're seeing that in the emergency department now. It's very different, um, lots of violence. Um, and we're very busy right now and the acuity of patients is a lot higher than when I was working at the bedside in the ER. Um, and I think we hear a lot about the burnout and the stress of EM, uh, emergency medicine professionals and that contributes to it. It's, it's difficult for them to go in day after day and deal with the violence and deal with the acuity and deal with the shortage, the staffing shortages and not having enough capacity to do their jobs and, and do it well. Right. Because a, a lot of the general public is going to hear this podcast. What, what would you tell the general public of how they could better assist the first responders? So, to, you know, to make things easier for everyone, because it, like you said, a lot of times it is a traumatic situation and it's gotten more violent. It might just be transporting someone to the hospital. But for those more serious connections, what would you want to tell the general public um, as far as, you know, how can they help you or help any first responder? I think the biggest thing um, is to, to know that... Uh, to be patient, um, especially when you're going uh, to the emergency department and it's busy. And we, as nurses and paramedics, we know that you're sick and you're not feeling good. Um, we have the best intention to take the greatest care of you. Um, and sometimes that care takes a long time right now. Sometimes it might mean that we're going to take care of you, but you sit in the in the the lobby or the triage area of an ER for several hours. Um, so I mean, I I know it's hard to be patient when you don't feel good, um, but I, I think it is important to be patient and to understand that everybody is working their hardest to get you or to get people to the back to get the care that they need so that they can start their healing process or go home. Um, everyone is working hard. They're working short staffed. Um, so there's only so many patients they can take, you know, to be safe. Um, but in the background, people are working hard and patients helps and just understanding that in the world of EMS and ER um, emergency departments, we take care of the most critical first. Um, we would do that for anybody. It doesn't, you know, if you're if you're sick, it, there, there, there's levels of sickness. Um, some people are more sick than others, even though you feel like crud, we understand that. Um, and we're going to take care of you, but there might be somebody in the back that's, um, fighting for their life or um, having um, a mental health crisis. And, and sometimes those, those things take a lot of resources and resources are scarce right now. That is so true. So very scarce and hopefully not going to get scarcer. But at this point, it's that scary, I think, for all of us, let alone for you who actually work in the field. Now, when, like as you were just describing, um, that patience is is so important, whether it's 
on the way to the hospital, whether it's where you first respond to the call, whether it's when you get, you know, to the emergency room, whatever the case might be, would you say that patients or families who get impatient actually add to the trauma level? Granted, it adds to the stress level. Would you say it adds to the trauma level, which is, I know it's a little bit different. Can you help? I Can you just give a little clarity to your question there? Um, right. Um, Save more time. I think I might have missed something. Right. <laughs> Might be the way I described it. Um, so the family members that come in to the hospital or maybe the patient themselves who is getting impatient because, like you oh, say, yeah. they feel like crud. Yeah. The fact that they're impatient, does it add, like I said, it adds to the stress level, yes. That we know, it's a gift. But does it add to the trauma level? Because stress a lot of times does end up, you know, manifesting itself into trauma. Yeah. Oh, for sure, it adds to the the, the trauma. Um, one, it, it's stressful when you can't provide, when you're when you know that people are waiting, you know they feel sick, when you're being yelled at by a family member or a patient, um, we sympathize, we empathize with that. And just not when we're not able to move people through as quickly as we want to and as quickly as people you know, patients and family members want to move through, that that's hard. You know, you think, how can I make this better? And there at that moment in time, there is nothing we can do to move people. Um, and it does add to the trauma. It does add to the stress because it's it's burnout. It's difficult to work in these conditions. I will tell you though that um, many patients are many patients and family members. They are um, patient, and and when you recognize that when the nurse is stressed or when the ED is um, emergency department is overloaded with people. Um, showing a little bit of understanding goes a long way um, because the nurses are burning out because of, of um, these conditions where they, people are impatient and rightfully so, but, and they go home and think about this and think about the hard times right now. And, and it's, they don't want to come back. And some people would have left and um, because they can't, they can't really, or they don't want to really deal with that anymore. Now you had a situation very close to you happen. It's been, it's been a few years ago now with your nephew mm -hmm. and I believe that there were angels involved. Please tell our viewers and listeners that story. Well, um, I can't remember the year, but it was several years ago now. I want to say around 2008-ish. Um, I was working as a paramedic. Um, and my nephew had called, I think, the day before to say, um, hey, we're having a family event tomorrow. Um, it's going to be nice out. We're going to move some snow around and we're going to do some snowmobiling. We might have some jumps involved. We're going to barbecue. Sounded like fun family time. But of course, in my mind, I was thinking, well, that sounds really dangerous. But that's my profession. I 
thought it sounded dangerous because I think almost everything sounds dangerous. Um, but nonetheless, my whole family was going to be there and it sounded like a good time. So I said I would be there um, when I get off a shift. I worked 3.30 a.m. to 3.30 in the afternoon. And um, it, it was kind of a busy shift. So when I got done, I was tired. Um, I thought, I don't really want to go. I'm tired. I just want to go home maybe and go to sleep and take a nap. But when I was, and so when I left, I had planned to go home. And on my way home, I had to pass my nephew's house um, on my way home. And I was just about to drive through or drive past the um, exit to go to his house. And I felt a pull to get off and to go to this event. And the pull was strange. It wasn't like a guilt, like a feeling of guilt. You, sh you should just go hang out with your family. That's not the pull that it was. It was the pull that I, uh, it was more than that. It was a pull like you're needed. I, I can't describe it, but it was a pull different than I've ever had before. Um, and so I got off the exit and I went over there and um, I walked to the back of the house where I knew everybody was going to be. And I could see somebody on a snowmobile. And at the time, I didn't know it was my nephew. And I remember thinking, well, at least he's got a helmet on. Thank goodness he has a helmet on because, you know, I'm a paramedic. I want you to wear helmets. And um, and then he took off and I could see uh, they have a big yard. And so I was kind of over here and I could see that he was driving uh over here and there was a big mound of snow. So I, I knew that they were going to take that jump and I could see all of my other family, my nieces and nephews and my brothers, they were all standing in a big circle, just kind of waiting for him to come and watch him take this jump. And so I played it out in my head. I'm like, oh my goodness, I won't be able to see him land, you know, but I was walking over there and I thought, well, I played it out in my head. I said, if I see all my family run to the center, I'll know that maybe he took that jump and maybe fell off the snowmobile. I'm not sure why I was thinking that, but that's how it played out in my head. And then about 30 seconds later, he took the jump. My family ran to the center of the, the, the snow. I couldn't see him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it played out exactly the way I just played it in my head. And so I ran over there and I could see my brother, you know, I could see my nephew on the ground in the snowmobile kind of away from him. And he was laying on his side and I could see my brother sitting next to him and had a worried look on his face. And I remember just saying, is he talking? And he said, yeah, he's talking. And I thought, shoo, that's a good sign. You know, he's talking. But um, anyway, he ended up having lots of back pain and um, wasn't really, he wanted to get up, but really we didn't, I didn't think that was a good idea if he got up because I was very concerned about his back and having a spinal injury. And um, so my training kicked in 
Um, I did everything that I would do on a normal call like that. And we called for EMS and he went to the hospital and he ended up having a very unstable, very unstable spinal fractures where he needed um, almost emergent surgery for those. Um, and so he ended up having to be transferred to another location where they did the surgery. And fortunately he did not have any spinal cord um, involvement but um, I think that had a lot to do with uh, just training. Um, I'm not sure if he would have got up and walked around. I'm not sure what his outcome would have been at that time, you know, if he would have had some paralysis, but um, he, he ended up doing really, really well. And we're all thankful for that. And I would definitely say that you had some angels giving you some guidance that day yeah. without a doubt. And you've probably had them in other situations and it, it maybe just wasn't quite as, as noticeable as this one was because it was family and everything. Do you think? Yeah, it might've been. I, I mean, I can't say that I've ever had that pull before, you know, I mean, I think in this profession, we do a lot of practicing and I think we do a lot of visualizing different scenarios and I've done that in the past, but, but this, this was, this was just different. It didn't, it just felt like, I, I don't know that I needed to, it just felt like they needed that, that level of training there. I, I, I don't know. Right place, right time. Mm -hmm. Trusted, trusted your gut, trusted your instinct. Yeah. And that's what angels will do for you. <laughs> well, Dot, I thank you so much for being on Survivor Angels today and giving us I think a real in-depth look at what first responders go through and deal with. And I can't thank you enough. So I wish you all the best. Thank you, Jody. Thanks again for joining Chaplain Jody on Survivor Angels. For more information, go to chaplainjody.me. That's chaplainjody.me. And on Facebook at Survivor Angels-Chaplain Jody. Sound effects for the show created by Andre Opate and provided by PixBay. This is Dave Schrader. Until next time, sending you off to activate your angels.